Advent. Um, I, I confess I really, I really like the Advent season, not just because it's Christmas. I also really like the Lenten season because I, I appreciate the chance to prepare. I, I'm grateful to be reminded over and over again that this is important and we need to pay attention. And so we do some different things here for Advent. One of them is the Advent wreath. We have these four candles with a candle in the center. Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. So today is the first of those four Sundays and I'm gonna light the first candle and the candles go by different names in different traditions and different cultures and ours go by whatever I'm preaching on that day. So. This is the candle of hope, because today we're going to talk about hope. As we prepare ourselves for Christmas, what, what needs to happen in us to get ready to celebrate that God has not abandoned us, God has not left us alone, that we ran away from him and he came after us. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite Christmas stories and uh, I, it's one of my favorite, I'll readily confess, because I really resonate with the character. We're going to look at the character of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Um, Zechariah does not do well with hope, as you'll see in this story. And, and uh, I resonate with that. I, I struggle with hope. Despair, I'm very good at. I've got that one down. But hope takes a lot more work for me. Uh, Zacharias is also married to Elizabeth. So I figure, you know, we got the two of us have that in common as well. So read along with me. We're going to read Zacharias' story. It starts in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read down the first half, goes to 25, and then we'll skip over and we'll learn what happens in the end, starting in verse 57. So follow along with me. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense had come, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. 
The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now skip over to verse 57. Let's pick up the rest of the story. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zacharias. Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking all about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now, Luke, Luke is a really good writer. You probably, you've heard me say before, the, the, the New Testament is written in, the, in Koine Greek. It's a, an offshoot of the old classical Greek language of Plato and Aristotle and all those guys. Most of the people writing are second language speakers. So they're writing it the way I write French. The, 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 it's not their native language. Most of them are Jewish. Their native tongue would be Hebrew or Aramaic. But Luke, Luke is a Greek, and so Greek is his native tongue, and it is one of the best written books in the scriptures. And I want you to hear the way he starts this story, because he sets us up. He says, you've got this priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. A priest means you descended from the man Aaron, Moses' brother. So there's the Levites, that's a whole group of people who trace their family back to the guy, Levi, and one family within there is Aaron's family. And only Aaron's direct descendants can be priests. Everyone else is Levites, they're helpers, they, they serve in the temple. Only the priests can go in and do these specific, different uh, jobs, like burning incense and those sorts of things. So. He's, a, he's an important guy in this culture. Now, later in the story, the priests and uh, Jesus will be going at it with these guys. But here, at this point in Judaism, he's important. He's a priest. There's not that many of them. It's one guy's line. And he's married to the daughter of a priest. Like, these are both significant people in his culture. They are important. And we're told they're serious. They're real. Like, they're not just going through the motions. We're told three times they're righteous in God's sight. They observe all the Lord's commands. They're blameless with the Lord's decree. Do you see how Luke is setting us up that, that this is the hero of this story? This guy, he's important. He matters. What he does, only a few people in the whole country can do because it's a hereditary line. You have to be descended from Aaron to be a priest. And he's married to the daughter of a priest, and he does everything right. And then we translate verse 7, but they were childless. Literally, what Luke says is, and there was to them no, and what do you expect them to say next? Because here's the good guys, and they're doing it all right. They're, 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 not, they're not people who are like, you know, just sort of skating along. They're not people who are pretending, oh, sure, I'm Jewish, you know, I, I go to the temple once a year. It, these guys are serious. They are obeying God. They are righteous in God's sight. They observe all the Lord's decree, the commands. They are blameless towards his decrees. So for them, there's no, 
And what you expect him to say is poverty, trouble, harm, bad. Because what happens to people who obey all God's law? What should life be like for people who are doing it all right? I'm going to read you part of Psalm 1, the very first psalm that opens up the entire book of Psalms. This speaks about blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord, which these guys clearly do. They are obeying it perfectly, we're told. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's what you expect to hear. For these guys, oh, there was no bad. There was no trouble. They were doing everything right. And Luke sets us up. He holds that all the way till the very end. And for them, there were no children. Now, some of you know the pain of infertility, right? But that just begins to get at what it would be like in this world not to have kids. You have to have kids. Like, like, you have to, to take care of you. There, there's no social services. I mean, when you get older, it's your children that provide for you. If you don't have children, you're going to be in trouble when you're not working anymore. And you've got to provide for the lineage. He's a priest. The only people who can go in and offer incense, bring in the showbread, do the sacrifices, is this one line from the family of Aaron. If he's not having kids, who's going to do that? And think, this is a culture where children are so important, like passing on inheritance is so important, that by law, if a man dies with no children, his nearest male relative must marry his wife, but the children he has aren't counted as his. They are considered the children of his dead relative. They will inherit because you must have someone You've got to have kids in this world. That's what Elizabeth says. God has taken away my disgrace among mankind. Because not to have children was disgraceful in our world, where having children is a choice. If someone wants to have kids and struggles with infertility, we have compassion on that. In their world, uh, they had compassion and suspicion. Like, what? what's going on? What's going wrong? Why aren't you having kids? Because children are a blessing from the Lord. Why? Like, something is going wrong. And the way, again, the way Luke writes it, they were childless. Elizabeth was not able to conceive. He writes it in a way that just states those as facts, but it doesn't say anything about the future. Right? This is her reality now. She has no children. And then the last one, they were both very old. Again, we don't do this in English, but he writes it in a way that says, oh, this is done, it's over. It's not like, that's it. It's not, they're, they're too old. Right? Again, he sets us up. This great couple, they're doing everything right. They're the good guys. And their lives don't look like they're blessed by God. But still, you know, I mean, they don't have kids now. She hasn't had kids yet. And they're never going to. They're, they're too old. Which, by the way, folks, that means, wow, they were probably in their 50s. Okay, so just to let you know, it, it, it's done. Like, he writes this in such a way to draw us in and tell us then in the end, this is never going to happen. It's, it's done. It's over. And that has done something to Zechariah. He, he's, he's living his life right. Everything he's doing, we're told, 
He is blameless. He is honorable. He is obeying the Lord's law. I mean, literally, we translate it observing, but literally it says walking, meaning living. He's living out the Lord's commands perfectly. He is doing exactly what he should do. But notice what happens. An angel appears. He's alone in a room in the temple, and an angel appears to him. Now, if you've read other parts of Scripture, pretty much everyone has the same response to angel. Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. Uh, Sometimes people fall flat on their face. I mean, in the couple places where angels are described, Gabriel's not here. The couple places where they are, they're rather large, imposing beings. And again, people are tempted to just fall down on their face. Daniel sees one and falls on his face like he was dead. He's afraid. And the angel says, no, 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 this is good. (laughs) This is good. You want to hear this. And listen to what the angel tells a man who presumably has been praying for decades to have children, who is enduring shame because he and his wife can't have kids. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I love that. That's singular, your prayer. Because I think he's just been praying this one thing over and over and over again. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You. He doesn't just say your wife will bear a son. He says your wife will bear a son. And then the last word he adds is for you. Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're going to be a father. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. This is good for you. This is good for everybody. Okay? And wow, he's not done yet. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, is there anyone who follows after God that that is not their number one prayer for their kids. That your children will follow. (laughs) My prayer for my children is that they will know God better than I did. That when we are in that feast of the lamb at the end of time, that they sit closer to Christ than I do. Because I took all the good that I had and I passed it on to them and then they built on it. And they, in turn, hopefully one day will have children and pass that on. I mean, this is what every believer wants. Your son, he will be great in God's eyes. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. That's the Nazarite vow. Those of you who have a Bible reading plan, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, right? You've read about that. If you don't have a way that you read the scriptures, there's a whole bunch of them on the table in the back. Grab one and start reading. You will come to the Nazarite vow. But I leave that as an exercise for the audience. That's significant. He's going to be a Nazarite. He'll never take wine or ferment a drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I can't find anybody ever in the Bible that that is said about before John. You can count on like both hands the number of people who even have God's Spirit in the Old Testament. And it comes and it goes. Samson is a, pro, is a lion attacks Samson and God's spirit comes upon him and he rips the lion apart with his bare hands and then God's spirit leaves. I mean, it's not like us. After Jesus, the death and resurrection of Christ, we have God's spirit permanently, but they didn't. And he's told his son is going to have God's spirit before he's even born. Again, I don't think there's anybody anywhere in their Bible that you can say that of. And here's why. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a quote from Malachi. In fact, those are the last words in their Bible. 
You know, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. Their Bible ends in the book of Malachi. This is the last two verses of Malachi, the last book in in Zechariah's Bible. This is God speaking. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's how the Jewish Bible ends. And that was written three to 400 years before Zechariah lives. And there hasn't been a prophet since then. It's called the, the centuries of silence. And this angel just told Zechariah, that guy we've been waiting for for centuries, that's your son. Like this kid, this the baby that's going to be born. He's not the culmination of decades of your prayers. He's the culmination of centuries of prayer. That's what your son is going to do. And Zechariah turns to the angel, and we translate it, how can I be sure of this? That's a really polite way. What Zechariah says to the angel is, prove it. I'm old, and my wife is old too. And when he says my wife is old, he uses the exact same words that Luke used previously to say she's old and it's over. The angel says to Zechariah, this is going to happen. And Zechariah says, not a chance. Prove it. He's been told this incredibly good news. But what wells up from him is not wonder. It's not gratitude. It's not speechlessness. Right? Think, of, think of if someone told you something this incredible. Your son is going to be the, the, the long-awaited prophet that we've been praying for for centuries. Your family, you are going to be the father of all the things in the scriptures. It's all about to happen. Imagine something that big being told to you. How do you respond? I think it's either just incredulity, right? You can't believe it. What? Say that. Did I hear you right? right? Or, or just gratitude and joy And his response is cynicism. He is rude to the angel. I mean, we would say that, oh, oh, I'm old. You don't talk like that in this world. I am old. That is way too direct. You certainly don't talk to heavenly beings that way. Zachariah is doing everything right, we're told. And something inside him has died. Because what does it all mean if you do all this? And then you die, and you don't pass it on to anyone. And, and, and nothing else ever happens. Nothing else comes of your life. Something inside him has died. So that when he is given this incredibly good news, his response is, well, exactly what the angel says in verse 20, you don't believe me. A heavenly being has appeared in front of you and given you a word from God. You don't, you don't believe it. He, I, I don't think he can. Again, hope. This is the candle of hope. He has no hope. He has been praying for decades, and now it's too late. I mean, just that they're, they're just too old. It's not going to happen. And if you don't think the Bible isn't funny, right, this is a dad joke. He says, you know, prove it, I am old. And the angel says back to him, like, nice to meet you, old. I am Gabriel. And again, it is rude. It is direct. You're old, I'm an archangel. I come from the presence of God to bring you this good news. You're welcome. 
you don't believe me. You want a saw? You want me to prove it? Deal. You're mute. You want you want proof? Oh, buddy, no problem. Go ahead. Try and talk to me. Say something. <laughs> you want a sign? Oh, I am all over that. You will not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because it will come true at the appointed time. You don't believe me. And he doesn't say to him, there's a lot of barren women in Israel. I'll go find one who listens. He doesn't say, you don't want to be a part of what God's doing? No problem. You're not interested? Zechariah doesn't believe. Again, he's lost hope. He's rude to his heavenly being who gives him what he's been praying for all this time. He can't take it. And God's response to him is, I, I think you need to be quiet for a little while. You need a timeout. You need, you know, you need to, the, the last time you ever done that with your kids, you know, if that's the way you're going to use your mouth, we probably ought to have you stop talking because this isn't going well. You, you, need, you need to stop talking for a little while because I'm going to do it. Whether Zechariah believes it or not is irrelevant. God has said it. God is going to do it. He has asked God all these years for a son, and God has said, yes, that's a done deal. Now, we are going to wait for time to catch up to that, but it's going to happen. When his time of service is complete, he goes home. Guess what? His wife, who's too old to have a child, gets pregnant. And it works. His silence his year, I mean, I don't know how long it was till the service ended and he went home and everything else. Let's say it was three months, right? And then she gets pregnant and it's nine months. Later, baby. Let's say he's quiet, he's silent for a year. <laughs> what happens when they have the child, right? You go, you're gonna, they're gonna circumcise him on the eighth day. They're gonna name him. The family says, hey, let's name him Zechariah II. That's a good name. Mom says, no, wrong name. And again, if you don't think the Bible isn't funny, verse 62, they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. The man's not deaf. He's mute. But he's been talking with his hands and pointing at things for the last year. Everybody's got used to talking. Zechariah, Zechariah, what do you want to name the baby? These are one of the things that make us realize, oh, this is a true story. Like, you go back and you read legends of demigods. You, you read mythology and all those things. Nobody writes this kind of stuff. Right? When Hercules is being born, they're, they're not, there's not a, a joke in there about the fact that, you know, his dad was mute, but everybody acted like he was deaf. Like, these are the little details. They're like, oh, somebody told Luke this story. You know, somebody, this is probably 50 years later that Luke is researching this and writing it down. Maybe somebody was a kid then. Maybe somebody was there, told them. These are the things that like make us go, oh, this is an eyewitness. He's writing down an account. He's not, this is, he's not making up some, you know, this is the mythological beginnings of John the Baptist. This is what happens. You know, they, were, they, they weren't talking to his dad who can hear them just fine. They were making signs to his dad. And his dad writes, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak. 
And what does he say? Because the last time he opened his mouth to a messenger of God, what came out was bitterness. And this time, a year later, when he opens his mouth, he began to speak, praising God. Like that year off, it worked. Like he's seen it every time. He tried to open his mouth and couldn't. It must have reminded him of what the angel said. And then his wife does get pregnant. And she does carry the baby. And a son is born. Everything God said happens. Because Paul says that in Christ, all God's promises are yes. But we don't believe that, do we? We don't actually believe when God says something, he's going to do it. We don't really think that sooner or later, he's going to move. We don't know when. We don't get picked the time. That's what the angel says. This will happen at the, it will come true at their appointed time when God is ready. For decades, Zechariah has been praying. And what I assume, again, it doesn't tell us this. I'm trying to put myself in his place. What I assume he thinks is God keeps saying no. 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 What God's been saying to Zechariah for decades is, wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. Not this month. Wait for it. Zechariah's not doing a great job of waiting. Again, something's happened in him that when he gets what he asks for, what comes out of him is bitterness. And again, I resonate with Zechariah because, wow, there's things I've been praying for for years. And I bet there's things you've been praying for for years. I bet there's things in you, if we're honest, that have died because it just doesn't happen. You keep asking and you keep asking and you keep asking and it just doesn't happen. We are preparing ourselves to celebrate Christmas. And yes, we will be celebrating in our pajamas, okay? I will preach in my pajamas. This will be the second time in 11 years that I have not preached wearing a suit jacket, okay? So you don't want to miss this. We're getting ready to celebrate that God has not abandoned us, that God has come for us that we ran away and he chased us down. And we'll celebrate in Easter that he caught us, that we tried to run away and he caught us and what it cost him. But here we celebrate that he's come, that there's hope, that when God promises, he does it. Now, you know, he does it at the appointed time. And maybe we have to keep our mouths shut for a year or two or 10, or 20, those are his decisions. He sets the time. But if he has said it, he will do it. There is no discussion on that. And Jesus says, ask me for whatever you want. Whatever, whatever you ask for. And I know I know because you've told me, and I know it's true in my life. I know there are things that we have been praying for year after year after year, and they're not happening. Maybe what God is saying is wait for it. Wait for it. Not, not today, but don't give up. Wait for it. Hope. Zechariah reminds me not to become Zechariah 
not to let all those years of prayers not being answered and not being answered and not being answered, all those years of his Elizabeth not getting pregnant and not getting pregnant and not getting pregnant until it was too late. God waited to do it until it was too late. And nobody, nobody in the story has any illusions that this was anything but God. What are the things where, where you think the Lord's saying, no, 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 no. And maybe what he's saying is, wait for it. Wait. Wait for it. What are the things that God has promised that hasn't happened yet? But they will. Because he never lies. And he doesn't change his mind. And he doesn't say one thing and then do another. Just like Zechariah. Zechariah did not believe it. And God said, okay. It's going to happen. You can just wait quietly. Sure enough, a year later, it happened. Where do you need to hope? We've got four weeks to Christmas. Where do you need to start reminding yourself? This is where we begin when we prepare for Christmas. Hope. Where do you need to remind yourself to hope? Where have you given up hope? Where, where, where have you stopped? Because again, I know the places in my life. And I bet you know the places in yours. And if you don't, I'm certainly praying the Holy Spirit will remind you. Where are the places where you need to start reminding yourself, maybe God's not saying no. Maybe he's just saying, wait for it. Not yet. Wait for it. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask God's Spirit to talk to us. I'm going to ask God's Spirit to remind us what what. What has died? You can see what's died inside Zechariah. But a year later, it's back. Because when he opens his mouth, what comes out is praise. You can read it. I didn't. But it's all the next verses. It's the whole rest of the chapter. Is him just praising God. It can come back. Even those things we think are dead. Even those dreams we think are gone. Nothing. His wife is too old to have children. Luke, a doctor who wrote this, agrees. This was not possible. But everything is possible with God, as we'll see with Mary. When God says it, it happens. What are the places in your life where you need to remind yourself to hope? You need to to remind yourself. You need to start saying, you know, you're saying to yourself, no, God's not going to do that. No, he won't do that. No, he doesn't care about these things. And what you need to say is, God's telling me to wait. When Jesus talks about prayer, he tells stories about being persistent and just keeping at it. And all of us can be persistent because we were so good at it as kids. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to? Can I quit now? Can I quit now? Like, we're all good at being annoying, right? Where do you need to start doing that again with God? Where do you need to start getting back to God Saying, I'm waiting. Is it today? I'm waiting. Is it today? Are you going to do it? Where do you need to hope again? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. I so appreciate that this doesn't depend on Zachariah believing it. It depends on you saying it. And you did. (laughs) You declared it to him. It does not involve his agreement. It does not involve his cooperation. You have said it, and so it will happen at the appointed time. Lord, I pray for us. You know. You know how hard it is for us to be consistent. 
You know how hard it is for us to be persistent. You know, scripture says a day is like a thousand years to you, but you know that for us, a day is like a day, and a thousand years is like a thousand years. And we struggle to continue. Lord, help us, remind us, speak to us. What are the places where we need to hope again? As we prepare to celebrate your birth, Jesus, as we prepare to end the year with this joyous celebration that you have not forgotten us, that you have not abandoned us, that we ran away from you and you came after us. You wanted us back. As we prepare ourselves, Jesus, where do we need to hope again? What are the things that we need to start praying about again? We need to bring to you again to hear you say, wait for it. Lord, give us consistency. Give us endurance. Give us perseverance. Lord, give us hope. Give us hope in all the things that Scripture says, that you are good. You are so good that you told Moses if he saw your goodness, he'd die. You had to put a mountain between you and Moses when your goodness passed by because it would have killed him. Your goodness is so immense. Lord, help us to hope again, to believe that, to remember that you are good and you are at work, that you have a plan. You are working it out. It didn't look like that to Zechariah for decades, but it was true, and you did it. Holy Spirit, remind us this week. Remind us, be in our thoughts, be in our dreams. Remind us where we need to hope again, where we need to believe, where we need to pray and wait and know that you are always at work. That's what you said, Jesus. You said you are always at work. Your Father was always at work. Help us to remember, help us to believe. We pray this in your name, Lord. Help us to prepare. Amen.